Today we're going to deviate from our study of 1 Peter, and in the next couple of weeks we're going to get into the Christmas spirit. Uh, today we're going to look at the announcement of, uh, uh, to Mary, uh, the announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary. Next week we're going to look at the announcement to Joseph, and then we're also going to look in the coming, uh, on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, uh, the birth of Christ from Luke 2, and as well uh, the interpretation of that or the explanation of that that we find in John chapter 1. So today we're in Luke 1. We're going to read verses 26 through 38. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us today. Well, Dragnet was a police radio and then television drama that was popular throughout the 1950s and then was revived in the later 60s. And uh, many of you, maybe some of you, uh, saw it when it came out. Some of you probably saw it uh, on Nickelodeon in reruns. Uh, I think they may still be running it. But the show followed Los Angeles police officer Sergeant Joe Friday and his partners when they went on their cases. The show was uh, groundbreaking and it was praised for its realistic portrayal of the dangers and heroism involved in police work. Now the, the famous catchphrase or line that was repeated often in the, the storyline uh, each week, Joe Friday would begin his uh, investigations by questioning people and he would always say, just the facts, just the facts, we just want to know the facts, just the facts ma'am. And that's the famous byline from the movie, all we want are the facts. They wanted to just have the facts so that they could avoid jumping to wrong conclusions. You don't want to falsely accuse someone or arrest someone before uh, the, it was the right time or, or making sure that you didn't have the, the wrong person. They were interested in gathering all the facts of doing a thorough investigation so that they could uh, respond appropriately to the matter, to the crime, and, and to the people involved in it to make sure that justice was served. Well, Luke, uh, the gospel writer, is a little bit like Joe Friday. His gospel is all about the facts. 
And if you look back at chapter 1, verse 1, about uh, where Luke begins his account, it says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from the beginning where eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Well, he tells us here that he's been following these things. He's heard it from eyewitnesses. He, he knew the apostles. Uh, he heard their firsthand accounts of Jesus Christ. And he's heard them preaching about it. Uh, he's actually gone out on missionary journeys with Paul and helped spread this good news about Jesus. And now he's writing to this fellow Theophilus, which the, the, in the Greek it means friend of God. He could be writing to an individual or to just generally anybody that would describe themselves as a friend of God. But he's writing this account uh, very carefully, an orderly account, he calls it. And the word means a, a step-by-step account. He, he's, he's going from the beginning, laying out all the facts that he has investigated and looked at very closely. He's writing it to you so that Theophilus, the friend of God, can have certainty. He can have uh, a firmness in his mind about all the details, the important details of Jesus Christ, who he was and what he did. Just the facts. Having the facts straight makes sure, just like Joe Friday, that we react and respond appropriately. It's one thing to respond appropriately in a crime scene, and so justice will be served, but it's quite another thing to encounter Christ and, and respond appropriately to him. That is vitally important for eternity for you and I. So Luke is laying out the facts for us. And so today we're going to look at this announcement to Mary that she will give birth to the Messiah. It's probably a teenage, poor, peasant girl in Nazareth, which was a town that was on the wrong side of the track. And, and here's an angel appearing to her and telling her, you're going to give birth to this great person who, is, who is, can only, she could only understand it as being the Messiah, the promised one that the Old Testament talks about in so many different scriptures. The facts presented here by Luke tell us at least a couple of important things tells us something of who Jesus is and the angel's description of the child that's to be born. We want to look at that in some detail in a moment. And also it tells us something about how he comes to us. How does this great uh, Savior of the world come to us? And, and I want to stress those two things to us today. Another TV show that's out there, a little more recent, a lot more recent than Dragnet, is a, a show called Undercover Boss. I've only watched snippets of it. Uh, I had to get Sarah to describe it in detail to me. She knows these things much better than I. But the show's format is a, is a reality TV show. Uh, senior executives, owners of businesses, they go undercover in their own companies. They pose as interns or as fellow workers. They show up at one of the offices and they're working there and it helps them see how their companies really work. They're a fly on the wall, if you will. No one knows their true identity. They think they're just fellow workers or even underlings to the people who are working there. 
and it helps the, the owners see how can they improve their business as well as reward those employees that are hardworking. And of course, some employees get embarrassed in the end because they don't realize they're uh, acting poorly, uh, working uh, in a lazy manner in front of the boss. Well, many people in our society today uh, get Jesus wrong. They, they don't realize who he truly is, and therefore they don't act appropriately uh, in front of him or before him. If you're one of those employees who's a slacker, uh, and you know that the boss is coming, well, you're going to change your ways. You're going to be careful because you know that you have to act differently in front of the boss than you do normally. But when you don't know who it is and you act your way, that's a, that's a problem. If you don't know that you're acting out, acting poorly, acting lazily in front of the boss, that's a bad thing. Because you don't know who he really is. How much more is it a problem for us if we don't know truly who Jesus is and don't appropriately respond to him? It's important for us to know a couple of things about Jesus. Well, it describes Jesus here in all of his greatness in verse 32 and 33. And I want to break just what he says down. It says he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I mean, that's awesome. If you were told when you had a child... Uh, you know what, here's, by God, a messenger of God, your, your child's going to be king. That would be awesome to hear, and especially if you're a poor peasant girl who's just a teenager and who's not even married. Uh, what an exciting uh, news that would be to receive. You know, I was, I was uh, kind of giggling to myself when the children were up here because everybody had out their phones, uh, you know, videoing all the kids here singing, and I was wondering why nobody videos me uh, preaching. <laughs> I guess maybe if my mom were here, she would video me. Uh, but, you know, wouldn't it be great to know how our kids are going to turn out? Well, she, she gets a glimpse of that here. Um, I don't know that she fully understood the depth, the importance of what the angel was saying to her because it probably, her expectations were probably too low for what even the angel was telling her. It, he's much greater than what, even, what he even described. First thing he says, Gabriel says to Mary, is that he will be great. I read an article this past week by Michael Kruger, who's the president and a professor of New Testament and uh, early Christianity at, at Reformed Seminary in Charlotte. And he's writing a series of articles called Taking Back Christianese. And he takes these little phrases that everybody says that and they, they think they're Christian, and he breaks it down and shows that they're either wrong or how they're right. But he is addressing this uh, very well-known and well-used today uh, phrase that people often say, all sins are equal in God's sight. And he says that there's some, there's some truth there, but there's a lot of error there. The things that are true about it is, uh, or how people use it is, that you might use that phrase to indicate that any sin is enough to separate us from God and warrant his wrath. You know, all sins have the same eternal consequence. Even the smallest sin deserves an eternal condemnation from God because we're sinning against him, an eternal being. 
So that, in that sense, it's true. And secondly, we might uh, use that phrase to remind us that small sins can lead to big sins. You know, just a, any small sin can snowball and become a bigger sin. No one who's an alcoholic set out to become an alcoholic. Uh, you took a drink, and then it became more and more and more and, and piled on until it completely dominates you. So in, in, in a couple of senses, that phrase is not so bad, but, but it really is abused in our day, and there's, a, there's several things that's bad about that phrase. To say that all sins are the same is to confuse the effect of sin with the heinousness of sin. All sins are equal in their effect. They all deserve condemnation. They separate us from God, but they're not all equally heinous. And we know this. You know, it's much worse, more heinous to murder someone than it is to drive 70 miles an hour down Beach Boulevard. Those are two different sins in the level of heinousness. Secondly, the Bible does differentiate between sins. Uh, some sins are more severe in terms of their impact, like murder, or in terms of culpability, or in, or in terms of the judgment warranted. Some sins just uh, are worse than others, and we know this. And thirdly, and this is really the point I'm getting at, although all people are sinners, the Bible makes it clear that some are more holy than others. The Bible has the category of the righteous person who is singled out by God as notably different. You know, our culture, especially on the Gulf Coast and, and throughout America, uh, we, we have a kind of a leveling culture. We don't want anyone to be lifted up on a pedestal. Uh, at least not for long. We often lift people up on a pedestal just to knock them down because we get a lot of pleasure in people getting their comeuppance or that, that think they're too big for their britches, as we say. Uh, but there are truly great people in the world. There are some righteous people. We know some people who are holy people. And if you've ever been to a funeral of, of someone who was a really godly person, the quality of their life is great. Uh, they may not have been rich or wealthy, but they were just great people, righteous people, holy people. They had walked with God a long time. They were circumspect in their relationship with the Lord, and they knew the Lord closely. It's a joy to be at a funeral like that. It's a joy to preach a funeral like that. Well, the, Jesus is described here as a great person. And the greatest, most holy person that we know is nothing compared to Jesus. You know, we throw that term around, oh, that's great. You know, we have all these shows that talk, us, talk about who's the greatest of all time? Who's the greatest basketball player? Who's the greatest football player? Who's the greatest actor? What's the greatest film? We throw that term around so much it's lost its meaning because this year, and especially at the end of the year, they wrap up the top 100 things, you know, the top 100 of all time of whatever it might be. Next year is going to be something completely different. Well, we throw that term around and it's lost its meaning, but when we say that he will be great, he will be the greatest, the greatest beyond all compare. No one comes close in righteousness and holiness and goodness. A truly great person is Jesus, well above the greatest human being. He is the greatest of all time, and it's not going to change next year or the year after that or or for eternity. He will always be the greatest person who's ever lived on earth. So when Gabriel says this to Mary, he will be great, that's a little bit of an understatement. I mean, it, he is the greatest. He goes on and says that he will be called the son of the most, most high. Uh, 
in short, it means he will be, he is divine. He, he will be God. The Son of the Most High is divine. Over in verse 34, Mary asks, how will this be, all that you're telling me, how will I give birth to this, this son, since I am a virgin? Uh, literally, I, I do not know a man. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God, the Son of God, again, repeating what it said there in the previous verse. There's an interesting word there. Uh, it says that the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. You definitely get a picture of a cloud overshadowing her. That's, that's the image that's communicated by the word. Then it calls to mind a couple of Old Testament uh, images. Uh, first of all, the cloud. When God appeared to the people... Uh, to the people of Israel during the Exodus, he appeared to them as a flaming torch uh, at night and a cloud in the day. It was a symbol of his presence. So God is going to be present there. Uh, and, and then there's this idea of the cloud hanging over her, not in a bad sense, but uh, hovering over. And that brings to mind Genesis 1, where the Spirit hovered over the waters at creation. The earth was formless and void, and the Spirit hovered over, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That same creative divine power is what's going to allow God uh, to become a human being. Uh, the creative force, life coming into to Mary, the person who is life coming into Mary. Uh, what an astounding thing that certainly she didn't fully grasp. But we understand that we have a Savior who is fully God, fully human, and as it says, he will be called holy. He will be perfect in every way. He will, he will not be a sinner like human beings. Everything a, a, a Savior needs to be to save us. Fully human, well acquainted with our grief and sorrow and pain, but sinless, fully divine, able to actually pay the penalty for our sins, to actually be a Savior, and then sinless, the perfect sacrifice, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he's the Son of the Most High God. And then thirdly, he says, the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. We sang that short hymn, it's one of my Christmas favorites, Lo, how a rose air blooming. I love the tune. It's so beautiful. Uh, the words are uh, an interpretation of Isaiah 11. And Isaiah 11 is that famous verse that says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And it goes on and on describing this one who is coming out of the lineage of David. The picture you get there in Isaiah, if you go back a couple of verses into chapter 10, you have all the enemies of God who have conquered Israel, conquered Judah. They have destroyed Jerusalem, raised it to the ground. And God gives this promise. He says, Behold, the Lord a God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. So the picture of you have is all the enemies of God being cut down 
like a forest that's just been completely raised. And here is poor Israel, uh, a dead stump almost, but yet there's a, sh- a shoot that comes out. out of the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. And that shoot is going to bear much fruit. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. We sang, Lo, how a rose air blooming, from tender stem hath sprung, of Jesse's lineage coming, as men of old have sung. It came, a flower it bright, amid the cold winter, when half spent was the night. Isaiah 11, t'was foretold it. The rose I have in mind, with Mary we behold it, the virgin mother kind. So Jesus is that king of David that was promised to come and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there will be no end. His rule is not just a, uh, an earthly rule, it's one that will be eternal. His kingdom that he's bringing in will never go away. It will last forever. Kingdoms rise and fall throughout the world. We've seen that throughout history. It's going to happen to us as well here in America, but Christ's kingdom goes on forever. So, back to thinking about things in terms of undercover boss, if we don't understand who he is, we are likely to just treat him like he's just one of, no, nothing special, like he's just one of the other common workers, the other messiahs or saviors that they might, uh, there might be out there. I had someone talking to me yesterday, and they were talking about uh, you know, going to church on one hand, but then talking about wanting to learn Buddhism on the other. Uh, you know, it's just one of the many choices that we have. So not true. Jesus Christ is the greatest. He's the Son of the Most High, and His kingdom will never end. And we can't treat Him just like He's just another Savior. He is the Savior. And, and knowing the facts about Him allows us to respond appropriately to him. If he shows up on your doorstep or at your workplace, how, would, how do you respond to him? Well, he has shown up on our doorstep. He's come to us. He's a baby lying in a manger. He's a savior uh, walking th- through Judea. Uh, he's the, the one who laid down his life on the cross for us. He's the risen Christ who ascended to heaven and is interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. How do you respond to him? Well, let's think quickly about how he comes to us. I just want to say one quick thing about this. Uh, when, when Mary is greeted by the angel Gabriel, he says there in verse 28, Greetings, O favored one. That word is the word for grace. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, that's the word for grace, with God. This verse, uh, verse 28, has been misinterpreted uh, by many. Uh, Hail Mary, uh, that's where the prayer, the Catholic's prayer, Hail Mary, comes from. Hail Mary, full of grace. Um, But it doesn't mean that she's full of grace or has grace to confer. She's not giving grace. We don't pray to her for her to give us grace. The angel is saying that she is receiving grace. She has been favored by God. God is giving her something gracious in verse 30, explains it for for us. You have found favor with God. You have found grace with God. 
God is going to do something for you. You've got a special place in history. You're the, the only human being in the, in the history of the world who's going to be the mother of the Savior, this great one, this Son of the Most High. Mary receives favor from God. The whole act of God coming into the world, even how, uh, how Mary is chosen and given the responsibility, it is an act of grace on God's part. God is reaching out to us. He is coming to us in grace. We might think, you know, if the boss shows up, like an undercover boss, and we know it, we might be a little afraid. You know, we, uh, you don't know what he's going to say to us. Uh, people often come up to me and say, you know, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to meet with you. I have something I want to tell you. And, and they won't tell me what it is until they get there the next day. And that's okay because I understand people don't want to have a conversation about private matters in the hallway. But I'm always a little concerned, not too much, but a little concerned. Are they going to... Are they going to talk about me? <laughs> are they going to say something to me? Did, did I do something wrong? Uh, I, hope it's, I hope it's not. Uh, but anyway, don't stop coming to me and, and don't, uh, don't take that personally. Um, we're, if we think about the Son of the Most High coming to us, this great one coming into our presence, it might be intimidating, but look how God comes to us as a little baby with grace, with, with his mercy and love in hand? And, and how do we respond to that? That's the question. How do we respond to that? How do you respond to that today? Well, Mary's response is the appropriate one. She's told all this. I mean, that's an overwhelming bit of news to receive. Uh, it's, it's pretty big enough to have an angel appear in, in, at your house. And, uh, you know, anytime an angel appears, people are afraid. They're shaking in their boots. And here's this poor peasant girl, probably in her teens. And she's told all this incredible news. And she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's an indication of her humility. She's humbly submitting to what uh, the angel has told her. I am the servant of the Lord. I want to be yours, and, and whatever you have for me, God, I accept that. She's not giving permission. She's just submitting. She's trusting the promise of the Lord. She responds to it with faith. I believe what you're telling me. I believe what you've done for me, and, and, and I submit to that. And that's, a, that's the response we all must have. As we think about the greatness of God coming to us and then he's doing it graciously, why wouldn't we say humbly, yes, Lord, I'll receive you. I'll receive your grace and your mercy and do with me as you will. As we celebrate Christmas this year, may the Lord give us grace to respond appropriately. And, and, and in all of our celebrations, may we not forget who he is and what he's done and how he comes to us. We're constantly being pointed to that. and It's easy to, to lose it in all the celebrations and all the, the gift-giving and, and family, but let us remember Christ and, and his grace, his mercy, and his great love that he shows to us and coming to us with such kindness and, and mercy. Next week we're going to talk a bit more about his saving work and as he reveals himself and the plan to Joseph. Let's pray together. 
Father, we do thank you for allowing us to have your word. Thank you for giving it to us. And Father, we pray that we would understand better who Jesus is and appreciate the great lengths that you have gone to come to us and, and the great things that Jesus has done for sinners such as we are. We pray, Lord, that we would take that to heart, that you would grant us repentance and deepen our faith, help us to walk with you and to be like Mary, to humbly submit to your plan for our lives. Of course, we don't have the, may not have as grand a plan as, as uh, Mary's plan, but Lord, your plans are always grand for us because it's the, the thing that is best for each one of us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us faith to believe that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.